Amen. Well, good morning. Blessings to you on uh, online and those that are in the sanctuary and our leadership. And thank you, elders, uh, for being here. And this praise team, what an awesome praise team we are blessed with here at Grace Point. Amen. And uh, just awesome to be able to to uh, worship God. We uh, Before I get into uh, the message, uh, I just want to encourage our church family to continue to lift up the Grimes family. We have Charles uh, Grimes in service, and we uh, buried his wife yesterday, Miss Onita, and a precious, precious family. Charles is actually the one that heads up our food ministry here at Grace Point Church, and so we had her home going uh, yesterday at lunch, and uh, we so appreciate uh, your prayers to continue for this family and for Charles. Charles, we love you and appreciate you and your family so much. Amen. Um, well, welcome to all the folks that are joining us. Uh, they already tell me we got Florida, of course, Georgia. Uh, we got Hotlanta with Pastor Todd Johnson. We got uh, Texas. We even got Arkansas uh, online with us today. And so if there's other states that I didn't Give a shout out to, let me know, and I'll, I'll shout out to them. Today, we entitled this 10 Things the Blood of Jesus Accomplished for Us. I think I did uh, with that, like my mama used to tell me sometimes when I fixed my plate, she said, your eyes is bigger than your stomach. Y'all know what that means? So we're going to try to cover five of them. How about that? I just cut it in half, just like that. And, uh, but I want to just uh, make this statement, and then we'll pray, and you can be seated you know, uh, the gospel of grace is underwritten by the most precious commodity in the universe, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Now, I think some have lost the sight of this absolutely essential truth, this important truth, and it's no doubt the most important truth that if there is no blood, no blood means no salvation. And uh, no blood means no redemption, no forgiveness, no sanctification, and no future. Um, without the blood, the gospel is not the gospel at all. In fact, uh, it's just, uh, it, it takes the power out of the cross and the shedding of the blood. In other words, it makes the cross just nothing more than two beams of wood put together. But uh, Jesus in Luke 22 and 20, he said on the night before he died, he took this cup and he held it up and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And it would be left to the writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, of the New Testament to really unpackage the full significance of that statement that Jesus made on that night. And so I just want to talk to us just a little bit this morning. Uh, about the blood of Jesus and actually what his precious blood accomplished for us now, in the past, and in the future. Amen. Father, we love you. We give you praise. We bless your people for they're blessed of the Lord and highly favored. We thank you for the grace of God that, that is sufficient for times like these. So we pray, God, that you would continue to move. We, we come against this coronavirus thing and the fear that's behind it. In the mighty name of Jesus, and we declare healing and health and peace and comfort by the power of God. Let the church arise and be the church. As Pastor Johanna said, let us shine like never before in this time. 
showing that we have a confidence and a boldness in you, Lord God, that gives us that peace and assurance, Lord God, that we call for and need in this time. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. You know, there, because of all of this, obviously there has been all kind of things on social media. In fact, I've had to Recently, I felt to take a break, really, from looking at so much of it, even from Facebook, uh, from looking at as much as I had been. And uh, But it doesn't take long to just turn it on, and you'll see stuff that you don't want to see and hear stuff that you don't want to hear. And uh, But I guess probably one of the biggest things that bothers me during this is to see where supposedly uh, pastors and people of God uh, they don't really bring comfort to the people at all. In fact, they just bring con further confusion. You know, a lot of people are confused. A lot of it's got to do, unfortunately, because of the preaching that has come out of the pulpits. And uh, there's a pastor down in Florida. He has a large uh, uh, video media presence and uh, an influence. And, uh, but he, he says that the coronavirus is the 11th plague. Uh, I've seen, I've heard that term recently pop up. They're calling it the 11th plague. Uh, what they're saying, he, he said this, this plague <clears throat> is sent by God to purge the world of sin as the end times approach. And those who mock God better wise up because there is a death angel on the loose right now and you're going to get an attitude adjustment. Isn't that a good sermon? Uh, and so, uh, of course, a lot of people lamb-blasted him for saying that, he, he said that in his video program, and uh, even though his program is called The Truth, I want to tell you that's not true at all. This is not the 11th plague. God has not sent this. God's not the author of this. He's not the one behind this. He doesn't make people sick and kill people. He's the healer. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's, he, he's, not, he's not that. And all this talk about the coronavirus and how it affects the body and all these things, and, of course, they're trying to develop a vaccine and all for it. it. It helps us to really understand some things. You know, the Bible says that life is in the blood. And I've noticed a renewed in, uh, interest in a lot of Christians as far as the story of the Passover, which is rapidly approaching us. And it is our heart and our plan at this time. Everything's so fluid and changing, but together back in here on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, to be back in this house and praising God, you know, on that Easter Sunday morning. But the thing that, that I want you to understand, you know, even a, a dear pastor friend of mine, and I think appropriately so, and uh, felt like God spoke to her about a certain psalm where it talks about the Lord shall lift his banner over us. And, and I know as I even drove into her county this week, as I approached that county line, I saw a red sash around that county line, and I knew she had been there, or some of her folks had been there. And I even, uh, as I drove on it further into the county, I noticed I saw a, a, someone had a red uh, a cloth draped over the front door of their home. And, uh, and some of those people in that particular county, at least, are saying that, that we, the blood of Jesus is going to cause this thing to pass over. Our home. They're not trying to use it like some trinket or some incantation or some rabbit's foot, but just because it symbolizes the precious blood of Jesus and what is accomplished. And I think it's good to remind people uh, of that. You know, 
And the way God's designed the body has got a lot to, to help us with this. You know, I, I refreshed my memory last night that, you know, our body, there's 25 billion, with a B, white blood cells floating around in your body right now. 25 billion. And if you know what the white blood cells are for, that's what fights against diseases and, and these things. And, uh, and, and those blood cells fight against an invisible enemy that you and I can't see. And, and it, they do it every day. There's really no telling. It would probably terrify us if we knew what we came in contact with every day of our life since we've been on this, on this earth and how our body has reacted and responded to it. And uh, so in the lymph nodes, uh, these white blood cells can actually signal, uh, the, the lymphatic system can signal your bone marrow to produce white blood cells when something comes and attacks your body. And, and listen to this. I, I read last night they can produce 500 billion white blood cells in six hours, 500 billion, and to, to fight against this. And it says many of these white blood cells, when fighting a disease that's trying to attack your body, those blood cells will die in the battle. They, those white blood cells in your body will actually die. But it says many of those uh, white blood cells will live, and those white blood cells then will be uh, returned back to your uh, lymph nodes and that disease in your lymphatic system will be fingerprinted and uh, in other words your lymphatic system recognizes from then on that particular disease that it has done defeated are you with me that his, it has defeated it and, and so my blood knows how to fight against it if it ever tries to come against me again because it has developed what they call an acquired immune uh, of that disease. In other words, it's a, it's a response, it's an acquired immunity. In other words, that's the whole scientific basis for developing vaccines. Now, I'm not trying to get all scientific on you, so I'm going somewhere with this. But you see how God's designed the body. That's why I, I don't have to worry about getting the measles again because <clears throat> I've already had it. And so my body has developed a fingerprint of that disease. So if the measles tries to jump on me again, it's, it says, no, we done whipped you before. We, we, we've got an immune, we are immune from you because we've defeated you before and we have fingerprinted you. And so you can't attack this body no more. I had the mumps, but I hadn't had them but one time. You can't, you, you can't bring that on me again. Now what I'm saying, the Bible says that God provided Jesus with a body. And what Jesus did is he took in his body the greatest disease of all, and that's sin. And, and he took that in him, and, and Jesus defeated that. It cost him his life, but he defeated that disease, that, that thing called sin. Him who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous of God in him. And so your body, that, that, you know, in Christ, you know how to defeat that thing called sin because your Savior has defeated that. Can you say amen to that? See, your, your blood remembers what it has defeated in the past. You're not going to get chicken pox again if you already had it. Your body's done defeated that. Do you understand? We're the body of Christ. What do you think Jesus has in his body? What do, you, what, do you think he has all these things, all these diseases? No, he took in his body. He took the infirmity in his body. He took those things. And so sometimes you, you just have to remind yourself of, of the power that, and, and the reason behind this thing called the shedding of blood. Uh, the first thing that, that Jesus' blood uh, does for us is, is, number one, it speaks for me. 
I don't have to speak for myself. Hebrews 12 and 24, Hebrews 12, 24 says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and look at this, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks, in other words, his blood speaks, but it speaks better things than that of Abel. Remember that Cain murdered Abel, the first murder that happened in the Bible in Genesis 4. But you got to understand that Abel's blood, it, it cried out, it spoke, but it spoke from the earth and it cried out for, for justice and vengeance. But, but, but Christ's blood speaks from heaven. It don't speak from a, it speaks from heaven and it announces mercy for every sinner. Abel's blood made Cain feel guilty and, and, and drove him away in despair and depression. But Jesus' blood frees us from guilt and shame and condemnation, and it opens us the way uh, to the presence of the Father. So, so I hear people, in, and I've heard a lot of this during this, and they go, well, I plead the blood of Jesus, or I applied the blood. Listen, you, you don't apply the blood. God, Jesus applied his own blood. There's no place in the Bible that tells you to apply the blood of Jesus. You're not the one that applied it. And you, Jesus did it. He said he entered into the holiest of all, and he offered it up his own blood. Jesus did that. So you don't, it's, the blood's already been applied. All you got to do is believe in it. It ain't that you apply it, but you believe in it, and then you enjoy the benefits of putting your faith in that precious shed blood. You, you don't have to apply the blood. You don't have to reapply the blood. The first application was once and for all. You, do you see what I'm saying? So you just have to believe in it. I, you know, I see people get afraid and they get scared and they go, I plead the blood. You don't have to plead the blood. The blood pleads for you. The blood's been speaking for you ever since that it was shed, uh, the, you know, on the cross. And so, so you, you just need to put your faith in that blood. The second thing that the blood of Jesus does is it brought you close to God. Each of these deserves a whole sermon, but I, I don't have the time, but but. Stop trying to get close to God if you're a Christian. You're as close to God as you can get. You may not feel like you're close. Somebody observing you may not look like you're close. But I was raised up around that mentality. Oh, well, get this guy to pray for you. He's close to God. Brother Dale, I just want to be closer to the Lord. How close do you want to be? You're already one spirit with him. The Bible said, he that is his, Jesus, you're, you're one spirit, Paul said, with the Lord. One spirit. You've been made one. There's, there's nothing closer than that. And, and so you, you've been joined in spirit with Jesus Christ as a born-again believer. And so don't go by your feelings. Your feelings are flawed. They're messed up. They're false. I don't feel close to God. Well, that's just that's how you feel. There are things that will make you feel closer to God, like worshiping God. Reading his word, praying to him, worshiping him, spending time with him and his people, that'll make you feel closer to God. But in the reality, it doesn't put you any closer because what brings you close to God? Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13 tells us. Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13, look what it says. It said that at that time, this was before you were saved, you were without Christ. You were lost, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Listen to this, having no hope and without God in the world. If that don't describe a sinner, I don't know what it does. That's the word of God. But he says, but now, everybody say now. But now in Christ Jesus, see that's the difference. You who were once far off have been brought near, how? By your praying, by your pleading, 
by your good living, by your Bible reading, by you walking the straight and there. No, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what the Bible says. You were born far away from God and there was nothing you could ever do that would ever close that gap. But what Jesus did closed it for you. And all again you have to do is put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And if any man be in Christ, you hear that? He is a new creation. See, you're in Christ. Don't try to play. That'd be like me, and I've told you this before. You know, that'd be as dumb as me standing here in this sanctuary praying to get close to the sanctuary. Wouldn't that be a stupid prayer? I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes praying that I can get closer to this sanctuary. I'm in the sanctuary. I'm in it. Don't pray to get closer to God. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. It'd be like I'm sitting in my car. I'm, I'm praying. What are you praying for? I'm praying to get closer to my car. It's just ridiculous. We do ridiculous, busy work, vain things as a Christian sometimes because we've been taught that kind of stuff. Well, you know, you're far away from God. You're not far away from God if you've been born again. You, you, if any, you're in Christ Jesus. And so just don't go by your feelings, you know. Now, I can understand if you don't ever read the Bible to go to church, pray, do anything like that, you're not going to feel close to God. But it don't mean God's not close to you. Don't mean that, that God, you don't, it, it doesn't shift back in two. It's not a revolving door. The third thing Jesus' blood does is it brought us forgiveness. Now, a lot of people see forgiveness as something that God can do. But the Bible teaches in the New Testament that forgiveness is something that God has done. Big difference. Hebrews 9 22 says this, he says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. The NIV says no forgiveness because that's what the word remission means. So without the shedding of blood, no bloodshed, no forgiveness. So what is it that causes God to forgive you? Is it you crying? Is it you confessing? Is it you repenting? Is it you saying these things? And, you know, no, no, it is the blood of Jesus that caused God to forgive. The, the, the Bible says when John pointed at him over 2,000 years ago and they said, Behold the Lamb of God. It does what? Taketh away the sin of those who confess. <laughs> it doesn't say that, does it? He taketh away the sin of the what? Of the world. And in Hebrews 9.22 uh, lets us know that this is how that forgiveness comes. By shedding his own blood, Jesus secured forever our forgiveness. And, and forgiveness is not something you achieve. It's not something we've earned. It's a divine gift. It's paid for with blood. All your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven, were forgiven at the cross. Now, you may not be enjoying the benefit of that forgiveness because you haven't put your faith in that shedding of his blood. Some people tell, you know, and say, well, there's limits on and conditions. See, if that guy, that, that preacher down in Florida that's that blasting out all over social media, trying to convince people that God has sent this plague, and, and, and notice his wording. That's his wording. I, I read the quote, what he said. That God has sent the coronavirus to purge the world of sin. Now, I want you to think of how blasphemous that statement is. How blasphemous that statement is. What that statement is saying that Jesus did not do what God sent him to do. That his blood was inadequate and insufficient to purge the world of sin. And he came and shed his blood and it did not accomplish what he sent it to do. 
Therefore, now he's having to send a coronavirus to purge the world of sin. So we should make the coronavirus, we should make a statue to it and start worshiping it because it's our Savior. You see how stupid that is? That is dumber than dirt to say that he sent some kind of disease to purge. The, how's that going to purge the world of sin? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's, it, it, but that's how dumb religion will make you. That's how stupid religion will make you. Where you Jesus' blood was sufficient. It accomplished what God sent him to do on the cross. And so what, you know, what, what sets you straight with God? The blood, you know that old song, Nothing But the Blood? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood plus nothing. That, what, what shall make you whole again? Nothing but the blood. It's the blood of Jesus. It, it, that's all it is. Blood plus nothing. That's what brings forgiveness. So what's your response to this gift of forgiveness to be? Well, Paul said, Romans 4 9, happier the man that knows he's forgiven. Happy is the man whose transgressions the Lord has not imputed to his account. Your sin account, your sin debit is a zero balance. Does that mean go sin all willy-nilly? No. I get so sick of it. You can't even make a statement of what's in the Bible without people, who is just sin? Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying your sin account's got a zero balance because God does not impute their sin against them. He doesn't remember them anymore. That's what the whole New Testament, that's why it's called grace and good news in the gospel. The fourth thing that Jesus' blood does is it done away with sin. It done away with it. Hebrews 9.26 says this, He then would have had to suffer often. What they do in the verses preceding that, Paul is drawing a parallel between the Levitical priesthood who would always be offering up the blood of sheep and oxen and bullocks to cover people's sin, to atone for their sin. And it never removed their sin, it just covered them and it just kept pushing them this way, pushing them this way. But what he goes on to say, he says in verse 26, the B portion of that verse, he says, he, Jesus, has appeared to put away. Everybody say put away. He has appeared to put away sin, and by the way, that's sin noun, by the sacrifice of himself. In other words, God says that when Jesus sacrifices himself, it'll put away sin. 1 John 2 and 2 says, and he himself, Jesus, and he himself is the propitiation. That word is a, is a big word. It means, our, it means the mercy of God, the mercy seat. Uh, it's the same word, same root word. For he himself is the propitiation, the forgiveness for our sin, and not for ours only, but for also for the whole world. God has forgiven the whole world. So that's why anybody that preaches to you an angry God, a vengeful God, a wrathful God, and then the only thing they can pull out is they have to go to the old covenant, which we're not under anymore, and during the old covenant and try to bring out some of those, those things from that. But listen, you need to know that the new covenant began when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. And... Uh, and so his blood took away sin. Sin's no longer merely covered up anymore. Uh, his sacrifice, the, the animal sacrifice never did it. But once and for all, it says over and over, Jesus' blood, it removed sin. It cast it as far as the east is from the west from us. It was abolished. These are translations, different translations, done away with. It was, it was removed. 
Sin was your master, but, it, but that's ended because God rubbed it out. How I many knows what I'm talking about? God whacked it. You know what I mean by that? You know, God done away with it. He done away with that thing. And lastly, number five, his blood gives us boldness to approach God. Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter uh, the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Uh, it says, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And so his blood, you, you can have boldness to come before God. You know, we used to come before God in the old church and we'd say, Lord, you know, I, I'm coming to you as humble as I know how. And we'd kind of come crawling in like a worm, hoping he didn't put his foot on us and squash us. That was the mentality I had. We'd come in and just telling God how sorry we were and we wasn't even fit to talk to him. And, and that's how we lived our life and that's the view we painted. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say come as humble as you know how before God. It says come boldly. And Paul goes on a few verses later. He said in full confidence and, and assurance and, 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 and that you walk in before God. You think my children when they come or my grandchildren when they come to the house, that, you know, they drop on the floor and start crawling in, you know, coming humbly before Papa? No, they come boldly. They come with faith. They come with expectation and they're asking for stuff. <laughs> Because they believe I am El Shaddad, the, da, the, the dad of more than enough. You know what I'm saying? They, they, but you, you approach, because you're not, you're not approaching a, a master, a ruler as much. You're approaching God, your, your father. You're coming to a father. And when you know that father loves you, you have boldness to enter in because he loves you. He loved you before, uh, you know, you, when, when you were a sinner, he loved you. And so you have that boldness. You know, when I was looking for this, I found over 30 verses in the New Testament that mention the blood of Jesus and the different things that his blood accomplished for us. There's over 30 of them. Aren't you glad I didn't say the 30 things that Jesus' blood did? But I understand that people's attention span is a little bit shorter when you're watching on video. That's another good reason to be back in his house as soon as we can. Because when you're in the house of the Lord and you're surrounded in God's people, it's just, it's, you know, nothing replaces that. And I think the American church now has gotten, maybe the church worldwide has gotten a real taste. And, and a lot of people, I, I've heard them say to me, I mean, man, I miss it. I, you know, I, I never realized, in other words, like if you just don't, don't go, you don't go. But, and I don't mean this to beat people up. I, I, I told my wife here the other day, I, I did the blog, but I didn't publish it. Maybe I was, whatever. <laughs> But the, the, the blog that I wrote, it's been weeks ago, uh, but it was like uh, the title of it was New Testament verses that you cannot obey if you're not committed to a local church. You know, there's a lot of verses that you can't obey. And, and I know that would make people mad. If I publish that, it'll make them upset because they'll be like, I'm cutting down on them, you know, because they don't go. No, I'm really just trying to awaken you to the reality of what you're missing just to the reality of what you're missing and uh, because you are missing something, you know. And so I just pray that wherever you're, you, you live or wherever you're from, that you don't fail, the, the for, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And now more than ever, we see what a privilege it is to get to assemble together and to be together with your church family. And, you know, I watched yesterday as we buried Miss Onita Grimes and uh, it was such a weird thing. We just don't understand all the things, all the ramifications that's going on 
maybe, and I know everybody's affected differently and economically in all kind of ways. And I, and, and, uh, but, um, so the funeral director, we were going to have a chapel service for Miss Anita, and then they called back and said, no, we're not going to be able to do that. We're just going to have to limit it just to the graveside. And as we went out to the graveside, it was set up with the chairs, like one chair way over here, one chair way over here, and then another six feet, another chair, and another six feet, another chair. And, you know, and they were setting out from the tent, you know. And I thought, what a weird time to be a pastor, you know, and set up. And, of course, the Grimes family just grabbed a chair and pulled them right on up. They've been hugging each other for uh, ever since she passed away Monday night. <laughs> they said, we've been together all day. Put my chair up in this tent, you know. And, and uh, But I thought, what a weird time that we're living in. And the things that people are having to, to confront, because you don't think about that unless you're dealing with a loved one's passing. And they're telling you you can't even have a funeral with more than 10 people at it. You know, it's, a, it's an unusual time. And I understand the medical uh, you know, aspect of that. I'm not demeaning or marginalizing. People are dying from the disease and so forth. And, and I understand that aspect of it. But, you know, I was, I, in, in what I do some on the Medicare side of things on my other job, I, I went to a lady's house down in Lake City, Florida, Monday morning. As soon as I walked in, I'm just trying to read to people, see what they are. I'm not sticking my hand. But I went in and she said, and she was 92 years old. She said, baby, I'm a hugger. <laughs> And so I said, well, let's get to hugging then. And so I hugged her, you know. And, and of course, she started talking about And I didn't go in. They don't know I'm no preacher or nothing. I mean, I'm going there wearing a placard you know, that says, hi, I'm a Christian, you know. And, uh, and so, you know, she said, my mama lived to 104, and I don't aim to stop the cycle. <laughs> she said, I'm just 92. <laughs> she said, I ain't scared of no virus. She said, I'm, I'm trusting God. And... Uh, she was just a fascinating lady. And when I got ready to leave and it helped her with her Medicare, she said, uh, all right, you can't go now until I get my goodbye hug. You know, and, and, and so some people's response is different. Some people, you know, they want to talk to you through the door or something, you know, or stand on the porch, and that's fine. You know, you just have to, you know, everybody has to walk it out because it's unprecedented. We haven't been faced with it before. But what I'm saying to you that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, joy, peace, and a sound mind. God's the same God that, that became flesh. And when he walked the earth, Jesus did. The thing going on in their day, was, you know, wasn't the coronavirus, but it was something even more deadly. It was leprosy because nobody recovered of leprosy. If you got that, you were done for. It was 100% fatal. And, and the Old Testament admonition and, and command was when you see a leper, don't touch him. But Jesus came and knew he had something different, and he violated it right off the bat. And he would touch the leper, and he never got the leprosy. In fact, the leper got what he had, and that was the healing power of God because he was the carrier of that power of God. And I want to tell you, the same spirit that Christ had dwells in you. You don't have a different Holy Spirit on the inside of you than he had. You have the same Holy Spirit. So go in confidence. And, and you know, I understand using wisdom, but some people are saying, well, I'm just using wisdom. And what they're really doing is they're manifesting fear. And I don't mean that to offend anyone, but make sure that it, it truly is just wisdom and common sense. I would say more common sense is what we need. But but don't move in fear. And, and, and if you're a born-again believer, this is your time to shine. Man, this is your time to shine. Because our church is not closed. We are here, and we do not provide curbside service. I'll still meet with you. I'll pray with you. I'll do whatever that is needed because God's work goes on. If there's ever a time the church is needed, it's now. 
This is the time for the church to stand up and say, we're not a non-essential. We're essential. We're essential to people's lives and and, and we, we, you know, we represent, and I want to properly represent, represent God to this world. I want to stand as a leader and be strong in this time because we are strong. You don't have to feel strong. You don't have to be a scientist and understand everything. But you know, you understand this. You understand Jesus died on the cross. He paid for all this. And, he, and by his stripes, I was healed. That's what I do understand. And, and, and so, you know, it breaks my heart. I guess that's one of my biggest pet peeves. You know that about me now. You know, I can't stand people to, to, to you know, because I'm supposed to represent God to a degree, especially to the lost that don't know him. I'm supposed to be a living epistle, read of all men. And then you got guys like that guy down there, you know, saying that this is the 11th plague and God sent it. You know, he just gave me a title for a blog next week if I get time to write it. But it's just ridiculous. I don't like people misrepresenting God. Because the world's already confused enough. They're already hurting enough. last thing they need is to hear that the God they're supposed to surrender his life to and pray to is the, is the God that's behind all this. And he's sitting up there just watching this just do what it's doing all over the world. You know, and he's trying to purge the world of sin because his son's blood didn't do it. So now he's got to send something else. Come on now. We've got to be smarter than that, church. We've we got to believe better things because his blood is still speaking and declaring that the shed blood has forgiven the world of sin, and God says, I'm not angry. Now all I want you to do is put your faith in me. That's why I, uh, that when Paul told us how to get a person saved in Romans 10, he never mentions the word sin. If sin was still an issue, then he would have had to brought it up. If sin, confessing it, is what causes people to get born again, then Paul did not know how to get people saved. And then when that apostle got in Acts 16 in the Philippian jail and that jailer looked at him and said, what must I do to be saved? Paul never mentioned the word sin. You got two times in there. This clear salvation passages and not either time does that great apostle ever even bring up sin or mention it or give any audience to it whatsoever. How can he do that? Because Jesus took away the sin issue and the sin problem of the world. Well, people still sin. I understand because they don't know who they are in him if they would put their faith in him. There's something a whole lot better. It's called life. Amen? So we love you. God bless you. Probably one of the shortest sermons I've ever preached. <laughs> God bless you.